This season of Smashing the Ceiling is brought to you by the Skylark Collective. Skylark is a new London-based network for women in podcasting, and this year we'll be hosting the inaugural International Women's Podcast Awards at the Albright in London. The collective exists to raise the voices of women in podcasting, both behind the mic and behind the scenes, and to showcase the work of women out there producing incredible audio moments through the medium of podcasting. So if you've got your own podcast or you're thinking of starting one, Head to our website at skylarkcollective.co.uk for more information or follow us on socials at the Skylark Collective. Now, on with the show. Also, you know, when you're in a service role, your your ego is also in check. You know, you're serving people. And I think it's really important wherever you come from, wherever you're going, that you can serve others. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Mella. On this podcast, we love to showcase the lives of women who have achieved amazing things in their careers, those who've got a really cool or unusual job, and some who've just had a really interesting life. If you're looking for inspiration for your career, if you feel a little stuck or bored with what you're doing right now, or if you're in search of the road less travelled job-wise, then this is the podcast for you. Each week, I sit down with one woman to dig a little deeper into the how of it all. How did they get where they are? How did they pick themselves up when things didn't go right? And how their mentors, mistakes and motivations have led them to achieve the things they have. Have you ever had a moment where you met someone for the first time, but you felt like you'd known them your entire life? It's a weird and rare but wonderful thing. I had that feeling when I chatted to Nikki Trott for the first time prior to this interview, and I knew I had to have her on the show. Nikki is an entrepreneur, podcaster and coach on a mission with her company, Conscious Accelerator. That mission is to help entrepreneurs with a real purpose in their business to thrive. She believes that purpose and profit don't have to be mutually exclusive, something I wholeheartedly agree with, and that business can be ethical, meaningful and financially successful all at the same time. But Nikki started her working life singing in a choir and working in Topshop during her teenage years, before beginning her career post-university at a tech startup. She's had huge experience in business development, branding and the tech sector and has done a variety of different and interesting roles that have led her to where she is today. We talked in this interview about how experience in retail and service early in Nikki's career shaped her attitudes going forwards, why success isn't always what it seems and how the realisation that her personal values and professional life were poles apart led to some pretty significant changes. Wonderful. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited to dig into your career, which has been varied and wonderful, to say the least. Um, you said that you grew up in Muswell Hill in, in North London. Do you want to tell me a little bit about what your aspirations and dreams were when you were little and, and what did you think um, your career might be? Like, how did you think it might pan out for you? Oh, my gosh. What a question. I haven't thought about it for so long. <laughs> I think the first career I wanted was a figure skater, Oh, an ice skater. Wow. Um, I did ballet from three years old till 18. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed skating as well and kind of thought that that might be something. <laughs> um, then in the later years of school, I went to a very academic school. And it was really, are you going to be a doctor or a lawyer? Are you going to be a teacher? 
um, yeah, the, the, the consultants, bankers, the options were pretty traditional and I knew that none of that really appealed to me at all. Uh, there was no talk whatsoever about entrepreneurship and everything that I was always told about entrepreneurship was it's very, very, very hard and it's, it's not a good idea. It's a big risk. And I'd never really thought that I would become an entrepreneur myself, but I knew I wanted to do something with people that I was really fascinated by people and behavior and also with design because I've always loved design and creativity and some of my best subjects at school were music, art, design, technology, building, creating furniture, painting and pottery. And so I wasn't sure how to combine all of this. I was also told, you know, you definitely don't want to be an artist or a musician. You won't make any money. And the best thing to do is to go into business. So I then was inspired by a teacher of mine, mistaken, um, And I was inspired to go and study fashion business, which was pretty out there from my school. No one really knew what to do with me. Everyone got a a practice interview before they went to their university interview, apart from me, because they didn't even know what the topic was really even about. And so I remember feeling like, okay, I'm taking quite a different path here. But that felt completely right. So it was a bit of a process. I had this discussion. Um, I previously interviewed Gabby Edlin on this podcast, who um, is the founder of Bloody Good Period. And um, she was actually at school with me. And our school was similar. It was very academic. And she was very artistic. And, and she actually went to do a fine art degree. And she said the same about feeling like she was a bit of an outsider in the sense that nobody knew or had any understanding of what it was that she wanted to do and that actually seemed almost abnormal at that time and I think things have probably changed a lot in schools now but did you did you feel held back by that Nikki or were you one of those people that just knew you were always going to be kind of treading your own path as it were? I think I always knew I'd tread my own path and I always had tread my own path um so I think I found it quite exciting (laughs) quite thrilling I think that just Following a, a structure and a process was something that I knew that I did not want to do anymore. And I was at the same school from six to 18 years old. And, you know, it was a gorgeous school with beautiful countryside that we could play in and lots of artistic budget as well. It was really love, lovely. But I, I also knew that I didn't ever want to be kind of part of a process that just... I had to follow the steps. So that was also very clear to me. Like I could not be a medical psychologist or uh, an archaeologist. Being topics which interested me, but I I knew that I could not follow a set path and and just kind of tick the boxes and and that just wouldn't thrill me. I had to really create my own. So I, I, I knew that from pretty young age. And even with university, I didn't want to go to a university where I had to stay in halls and feel like I was basically at a big big boarding school. I enjoyed socializing with people who were older than me, with diverse types of people, even when I was just 18. And so I, I knew that that wouldn't be right for me as well. So I went to the London College of Fashion, which was in London, and studied a business degree. So I was able to also have a job in Topshop, where I was working, getting practical experience. 
and having my rich social life with all sorts of different people who I could be inspired by. Mm. It strikes me that you must be quite a mature young woman, Nikki, from saying all of that, because it sounds like, for want of a better phrase, you had your shit together at quite a young age. (laughs) Yeah, I have to say I've always been mature for my age. I'm not sure why, but I also found that quite constraining at school being in an age group. I was also the oldest person in my year um, by calendar. So that didn't help (laughs) because I then felt two or three years older than a lot of the people who I shared an academic year with, which was, yeah, a bit strange. That's why I ended up just hanging out with older people who were already at university outside of school. So you mentioned you worked in Topshop there and um, your first job was actually in a, in a startup. Um, you know, obviously working for a, a huge global brand like Topshop, RIP Topshop these days, for anyone outside of the UK, this was a kind of um, shopping institution for teenage girls of the 90s, <laughs> um, made very famous by people like Kate Moss. Um, and you've also worked at Harvey Nichols in that time, which again, you know, huge uh, name in the fashion world. How was it transitioning into going to a very tiny startup for your first kind of quote unquote proper job, I guess, Nikki? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'd done various things. My first paid job was actually, um, apart from being a baby model when I was six months old, <laughs> which doesn't really count, does it? Um, was singing in the um, in London Coliseum in the Nutcracker Ballet with my choir. So I did a lot of singing and, and would sing every Christmas with my choir. So that was my first paid job when I was probably about 14, 15. Um, but then I just worked in Topshop at the weekends from when I was 17 to get some practical experience to apply to London College of Fashion because I came from such an academic background. So it was a job, you know, of course it was a real job and, and I got paid and I got promoted, but it was it was something just to add to my experience and broaden my understanding of business. And actually I think just working on the shop floor and speaking with customers face to face was such an incredible experience. I'm so, so glad I had um most of my friends from school didn't work and maybe some you know didn't have that experience but could have benefited from it because I think you get so so much understanding from actually seeing customers and how they interact and speaking with them that you can then apply later in your career um and then Harvey Nichols I did a placement year as part of my degree and I moved around different departments and and then I also ran the designer shoes um part of the store and so then going to a startup was it was pretty different but the roles before were retail based and I knew that I wouldn't do retail anymore that it was just kind of while I was studying and for me and going into the startup was incredible because I sat around a table with the CEO and head of product the three of us and there I was with my experience from the work I'd done and my degree, but so young and fresh. And it was an incredible way to learn so much about business. And I brought a lot of intuition and understanding from what I'd done before as well. And my own perspective, which was quite different, because also that company was made up of lots of academic men, um, as we grew, <laughs> there were lots of, it was a tech startup. So lots of guys with PhDs and yeah, it was, it was really interesting to observe dynamics and understand how to work with different types of people 
and how to build a brand and a business. There's so much freedom. And I love that about working with small companies that you really can create something from scratch. Definitely. And you just, just you mentioned there um, about how you think working with people really adds something early on in your career. Can you just expand on that a little bit, Nikki? Um, I often think it's really useful for people to do bar work or be a waitress because I think it gives you a real understanding of how to treat other people. Um, but can you just expand on what you think you gained from working in the retail at a young age and the particular skills that that gave you? Because I think that can be a bit overlooked sometimes. Yeah, I, I agree. I think also, you know, when you're in a service role, your your ego is also in check. You know, you're serving people. And I think it's really important wherever you come from, wherever you're going, that you can serve others. And that's what we should all be doing in business. And so I think it's a really good mentality to have to really look at how you can best create the best experience for other people and to enjoy and thrive off that. Um, also just literally seeing customers, seeing how they purchase and seeing what bothers them and seeing what they like. It's, it's very practical experience. You know, it'd be raining and I would move the umbrellas to the front. I, I was the assistant manager of the ground floor of the big top shop on Oxford Circus where we had all the accessories because I knew that one thing I couldn't handle was, was hangers, clothes on hangers. <laughs> so, um, I stayed well with the accessories, but, you know, just tiny things like that and just seeing, okay, wow, then all the umbrellas sell out. It's such a simple, small example, but I always remember that because it was when I really started to understand visual merchandising, moving products and how you promote products and the kind of subconscious journey maybe that customers also go through. And I think that that's, it's all just such rich experience to underpin running a business where you might not have such close contact if you're running an online business um, and also managing a team. I mean, I was, you know, 18, 19 years old and I was managing a team of people who are older than me. And that took a lot of, of courage, I think, and also really enabled me to, to learn from a big company that had structures in place about management and training and on all of these different areas that I was able to, you know, pick up skills from and take to the rest of my career. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And yeah, I think that's, that's super valuable, isn't it? And actually that the kind of the small thing that that I love that example of the umbrella that you gave, because it is just such a tiny thing, but what that shows is not just understanding of, you know, customer behaviors, but also initiative as well, just to see an opportunity, take it and sell out the umbrellas. And not everybody has that, I don't think. I mean, do you, as a coach now, I'm interested, do you think that can be cultivated or do you think people are kind of just born with that sort of initiative and intuition? Oh, I think everyone is born with intuition, for sure. It's whether we tap, tap into it and listen to it or not. And then I think the kind of initiative that we all have is really different. And so someone might not have sold out the umbrellas, but they would have done something else, which would have been great too, in a different way. Um, so I think that's the beauty of a team, right. And, and the diversity of all of us that we all have different ways that we see what's in front of us, different interpretations, and then take action in a different way. Totally. And actually pulling that all together as a manager is the skill, isn't it really? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, going to a tech startup, you know, obviously in your early in your career, um, we hear a lot about tech 
startups being quite cutthroat. A lot of them fail. Um, how was your kind of experience of that on your entrepreneur journey, um, learning from being in a very small company because you were the third person to join that startup? Um, what do you think you took from that that has served you going into your entrepreneurial journey yourself? So, so much. Um, it was the best education I could have possibly had. Definitely better than doing an MBA. It was really hands-on and I was able to touch all areas of the business. And um, my CEO was a really great guy, um, Tom, who, who became, you know, a real friend. And I learned so much from him. Um, he was older and more experienced, but super open. And that was an incredible privilege to be able to sit there and see, you know, the, the hard times as well. Um, but, you know, the, we did well. When I left, I think the team was over 30 people. I stayed for three years and we built up the brand, the marketing, the first clients, the revenue. So from an idea, we then took it to a functioning business that was growing rapidly. So it was really incredible to see that process. And it showed me that it can be done. And it showed me that it's not easy, but when you're really committed and when you have a vision, you know, you can really, you can really grow. And it also showed me what areas I wanted to explore for myself and my career because I did UX. I got really pretty good at UX as well as product development. I was also doing marketing and running the branding process. I even have patents to my name for some of the technology pieces and processes that we developed. So, you know, I got um, really uh, understanding the the algorithms and, and got close to the technology. And so there was so much. And I was able to also look at where do I want to take this next and what's right for me to pursue with my career. Looking back, I also see it's really interesting how the people who are managing you have their agendas for where they want you to go. And even if they don't mean to, they kind of manipulate you a bit. I have one, one boss who was saying to me, you know, because um, the, there were two people who were more senior than me, the, the, the CEO, and then someone came in later who was the COO, who then was kind of also, um, yeah, above me and was, was, was managing me for a time. And, and he sort of was saying, you don't want to do UX because it's too constrained and your career can't really grow from there. You want to do business development because then you're where the money is at. That's, you know, and it was just interesting looking back because I was, I was so really young and, and I did do that. I did follow business development and follow his advice. And I'm glad that I did, but I can also see that that really helped him and that's what he needed too. And it's just interesting. That's no criticism at all, but just to see how actually, you know, the different perspectives that people have on the steps we need to take in our career are obviously based on their perspective that they're coming from specifically. And it's important that I think we're really clear on what feels right to us. Which beautifully um, segues onto you moving into business development. Um, how did you kind of pick that and, and, and your specialty became around kind of branding um, and working in agencies for a few years after that, Nikki? Um, how did you make the decision to to move away from the startups and into a bigger company first at Wednesday and then at ITB after that? Well, I was working at the tech startup Metail in business development already by this point. And we were working with fashion brands um 
retailers, TV, and I was creating the the deals with those companies with the team. And so I was used to working with them, but I felt that I was working with these businesses on a very specific narrow lens, which was all around optimization of conversion and user experience and sizing uh, in terms of purchasing fashion online. And I wanted to broaden my understanding of those businesses and step step back from the algorithm, I suppose, to, to really get more perspective. So the opportunity came up to move to Wednesday, uh, which was a really great agency, one of the leading agencies across London and New York, working with lots of top fashion brands like Calvin Klein and um, Gallery Lafayette and Mulberry and Dior. And so I, I had the opportunity and it just felt right intuitively. I it's hard to leave a startup when you've really created the family. It feels like it. And you've been there from the start. I've been there for three years. But I knew that I was plateauing in my growth. And I never want to plateau in my growth. So I knew that I needed to leave. I always think it's important to leave our things are still good, not to squeeze the last possible juice out of it, but just to really allow yourself to move on when you start to feel that that would be the best thing for you and not wait around. You know, I was on a traditional track and achieving what I had been told success was. So my success was kind of externally measured really in a way. So I was then a director at Wednesday of business development. I I was the youngest director there and, you know, I was earning well and doing great work with big brands. And as far as my friends were concerned, I was really successful and ambitious. Um, And, you know, it felt good and I enjoyed it. I learned loads, but I also felt, (laughs) I felt sometimes like I was in the matrix. And I remember sometimes sitting in meetings and talking in detail about something like, um, you know, the, the color or the typography on an, on an ad for a fashion brand or something. Sometimes I would just zoom out and think this is completely absurd. There are 10 people, incredible, intelligent, wonderful people sitting around this table discussing this. Like, does it even matter? What are we doing? And sometimes I'd have these moments and then I would go back and carry on. Um, you know, but you very much get in the, in the kind of cycle of it all and get wrapped up in it. There's a lot of ego involved from everybody, including, including me. I think, you know, where you feel like, yes, we're, we're doing it. We've made it. (laughs) And at the same time, I did have questions about how all of this really fitted with my values because I had, I hadn't eaten meat for many, many years, but then I, I was on my way to veganism and, you know, other things as well, just about really caring about the environment and about humans and then knowing what the industry was contributing to and feeling just uneasy. And the easiest thing, of course, was to brush it under the carpet and hope you could work on some more sustainable brands in the future. But there was definitely a sense that I had achieved what people were telling me was success, but there was some kind of gap. There was something not quite right. 
but I was on planes all the time, flying to New York, staying in beautiful hotels, working with all these amazing people. And I was also distracted and on the hamster wheel and it was go, 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 go. And I also had a very busy social life as well. So I was just constantly doing awesome stuff and didn't really give myself the space to go into those questions, those more difficult questions that we like to maybe not face because it seems easier not to face them, though, of course, it's not in the long run because they're still there eating you away in your subconscious. So I think, I don't know if this is a direct answer to your question, but it was more for me around the values. And after I had worked at Wednesday and then I moved to the sister company ITB to help grow them, which was a smaller company. Um, And then having worked for them, again, across London and New York with lots of big brands, I, I had my Saturn return. Not that I really know anything about astrology and I didn't know what it was at the time, but Many people have told me since when, you know, I turned 29 and I just changed everything. I left my long-term boyfriend, the apartment we lived in, my job as the director at ITB, my hometown city of London. And I, I just changed everything and moved to Berlin, which was pretty spontaneous. I'd nearly moved to New York a few times. And Berlin kind of felt like the opposite direction from London, where New York is busier, faster, crazier, more expensive. And Berlin is slower and has a lot more space and opportunity for connection. But I have best friends in Berlin, which is, Berlin is where I am right now. And that just felt like something that I needed to do. And so then when I was in Berlin, I set up my own company for the first time because I realized that freedom was my most important value and I needed to feel complete freedom over my work. So I started consulting brands on strategy, marketing, branding. My clients were brands like um, Mercedes-Benz and Mac Cosmetics and The Prairie and worked half the hours for twice the money and was loving life. But at the same time, I was on my spiritual journey and I'd really got into meditation. I'd become fully vegan by then. And I was reading lots of spiritual books. It all started with Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, <laughs> which I can recommend more if anyone hasn't read it. And and then, you know, again, people are saying, wow, you're really successful. You've got this great business. And uh, working with all these big brands, and I still felt more and more the gap was really becoming obvious between my personal values and the work that I was doing. And the last straw was when I was flown to New York from Berlin for a weekend um, or, or a few days for, to run a digital conference for a luxury skincare brand. And I wasn't flying around the world so much anymore for really short times. I, I was doing it sometimes, but I'd really made an effort to cut that back because it was so insane you know, to fly from Berlin to LA for one meeting, which I've done more than once. Um, Yeah. And so, but I was in, I was in New York and the the client offered me a facial because they wanted me to experience their products. And actually it was my first facial. I'm, I'm pretty low maintenance. And so of course I accepted and this wonderful lady, a really beautiful soul who I still remember, she was giving me a facial and explaining the products. And she explained this, face cream has caviar in it 
Like I asked her what, what real, real caviar, there's, there's real fish eggs in the face cream. And, and she said, yes, yes, it's the signature. And I just lay there thinking, this is completely nuts because I'm vegan and this lovely woman is pushing fish eggs onto my face. And the pot that, that sold this cream was more plastic than cream, you know, huge ostentatious packaging, $1,000 for a pot of face cream. And I would never buy that. I would never give it to anyone else. I would never recommend anybody who I know and love to purchase that product. So why was I putting my energy into helping them to sell more? And, you know, the people working at that brand were lovely and nothing, nothing about, you know, who was there and who I was working with. It's just, this is not me. And I realized that I had to make a cut because otherwise projects would keep coming. And then I would be reactive and I would keep doing them. So on the plane back, I made a decision that I would not ever again accept a project for any brand, which was not aligned with my values. And then, of course, the universe tried to hold me back, brought me bigger <laughs> projects than ever to my desk. And I said, respectfully, no, I, I have to decline. And so that was a huge turning point for me. And had you, had you done your coaching course by that point, Nikki? Were you kind of personally coaching at this point or just doing brands, brand strategies? No, not at all. Not at all. I'd always been interested in coaching, even since school. I don't know how I even knew about coaching because it was definitely not presented as an option for a career. <laughs> it's not a thing but, when we were at school. <laughs> no, but I was told, I remember being told successful people have coaches. They're not coaches themselves. And I remember having that in my mind. And, you know, when I came back from that trip to New York, and really took my distance from that business that I was running, my consulting company, um, I then understood that actually I felt called cool to train as a coach. And I knew that I would not then become a coach and that would be my business. I knew that. I didn't know what it would be, but I knew that it wouldn't be, okay, now I'm a coach. But I knew that I just needed to do that training. And so I just gave myself the grace and the space to do it. Six months. And yeah, I, I, I just gave myself the time and space and it, I helped some conscious businesses during that time as well. So I was also doing some work. Um, but yes, it was really, really incredible because when you train in coaching, you also go through so much transformation yourself because you're practicing on yourself. You're practicing with other people. You're being coached all the time. I mean, when I made the decision to train as a coach, of course, the first thing I did was hire my first coach. And so, you know, I went through a real process of deepening my own personal transformation at this time when I was moving away from a business that I, I could no longer uh, run. So, yeah, it was, it was really intuitive. And for the first time in my life, I had no plan. I had no strategy. I had no idea where it was leading me, but I knew I needed to do it. So I just kind of surrendered and let myself be a student again and, and went through that process. Mm, amazing. So cool. And you mentioned the term conscious business there, Nikki, for anyone who's not familiar with that, can you just give us a flavor of what, how you would define that to people and, and what a conscious business is? Yeah. So it, it's a good question because there are many ways that we can define a conscious business. 
And what I decided was it's not for me to tell my clients how conscious their business is or not and to judge. It's more to understand their intention. Um, So for me, a conscious business is a business which has the intention of making a positive impact on people and the planet. And that does not mean at the detriment of profit, but it's a business with a purpose which is higher than, than themselves. So really wanting to make a positive impact. And running a conscious business goes, you know, across everything from your sustainability to the way that you treat your team and the freedoms and flexibility and growth opportunities you give them to, you know, your overall mission and vision for what you want to do and how you make people feel with every single thing you put out in the world. So that can come in many forms, of course. Yeah, it's um, I love that. And actually... I would imagine it must be very fulfilling to be working with people because am I correct, Nikki, that now your business is is very much geared towards kind of conscious entrepreneurs and conscious businesses. And I imagine that it must be very rewarding to work with people who, like you, are are aiming for something more, as it were. Exactly. Yes. So after I finished my coaching training and then started to coach conscious entrepreneurs, mainly women who want to make a positive impact. Um, having spent most of my career working with mainly men, um, now I'm supporting mainly women. And yes, I then brought that together with all my business, entrepreneurial and branding and, and marketing experience. So I bring all of that together with my company, Conscious Accelerator, to conscious businesses and entrepreneurs. And like you said, it's incredibly fulfilling because I'm able to really help people who want to make a a big positive impact, which is aligned with the impact I want to make. So, you know, every success that my clients have is a success for me too. And and it's so aligned and, you know, I meet also the most wonderful people through, through this work. And it's really important, you know, that, that we, that we prove again and again, as, as is being proved that purpose is what drives the future of success and profit and purpose are not mutually exclusive not at all I I really believe and we're seeing more and more examples of of how this is working and and that purpose really is driving success now Mm. two more things I was going to chat to you about um the first one is sitting on boards because you're on a board um of an organization called We Are Well in Canada. Um, we discuss on this podcast quite a lot about women sitting on boards because obviously it's still not that common. The 30% Club has been, you know, successful, but there's a lot of work to do. And I'm a really big fan of encouraging people to take board opportunities when they can. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that came up, Nikki, and why you chose We Are Well as an organization that you wanted to work with? Yeah, so this came to me through Clubhouse. It was very... Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, it was very organic crazy things have come to me from Clubhouse. It's literally (laughs) blown my mind. I wish I'd tell you about all of them. But um, yeah, so I just, I don't know, I was speaking on a panel on Clubhouse on a related topic. And one of the founders of We Are Well heard me and really resonated with me and reached out to me and asked me for a, a call. And we had a call and it was electric. It was so incredible and we we talk about it I I just spoke to him this week and he said mentioned our connection and I thought oh that's so so lovely because it's so true we just had an incredibly strong connection and it was so energetic and we were just speaking the same language you know it was a general catch-up and we were so 
passionate about aligned things. And I just really felt like, wow, there is no coincidence that we have just come across each other. You know, it just really, really felt like we're meant to do something together. And I, I truly believed in, in his vision and what he was creating. And so then I was introduced to the other co-founders and we had further calls and it just was very, very natural and organic and flowy. And they invited me to be a board member. Um, and I was thrilled to accept and I'm absolutely loving working with them. And I'm always, always talking about the importance for diversity, um, which is a topic I'm really, really passionate about. And I've run Clubhouse Rooms on and I've been a trustee of a charity in the UK or walked beyond the catwalk promoting diversity in fashion and uh, body image for, for a long time. We started that back when I was at Metail. I mean, I, I didn't start the charity, but I, I joined as a trustee. And, and so that charity really pioneered that conversation, which has become very mainstream in the UK now, which is an incredible achievement of theirs. And so that's something I've been really passionate about. So yes, we're always talking, we are well about the diversity of the board and of the team and, and, you know, the business was started by white men and they're really aware of that. And they're really, really conscious about trying to expand as much as they possibly can in terms of diversity and they're making really good strides in doing that as well. But I completely agree with you having women on boards and having diversity on boards. It just is so important and it, it really leads to more success for the businesses. I mean, how many businesses have more than 50% female customers? And I saw this again and again in the fashion industry where I would go and meet brands at the sea level and I would be often what maybe the only woman or there might be two women in the room full of men in suits talking about what they're selling to women. And it's completely nuts. So, you know, when you have women in, in these high positions where they're making decisions about what women want, <laughs> maybe that's going to help. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And actually, like, you know, women have a, the vast majority of the consumer power, certainly exactly. in the UK. And I find it mad that there aren't, that there are not more women making big decisions about what women should be purchasing or how women should be purchasing or how you should be marketing to them, for example, because, you know, women are spending the majority of the money, they control the household purse, they control the bills, you know, like, it's crazy that 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 hasn't been kind of tapped into previously, and I I completely agree with everything that you're saying there. Um, and just finally, I was going to chat to you about your podcast because Nikki has an amazing podcast of her own as well, uh, which is called Going Conscious. Um, she talks to conscious entrepreneurs in there, and it's a, an absolutely fantastic show for anyone that hasn't listened to it. I would definitely urge you to go and have a listen. What was it that drew you into podcasting, Nikki, and um, really inspired you to start that? Oh, well, actually, when I moved to Berlin um, and I described my kind of spiritual journey I was going on personally, a huge part of that was having podcasts because, you know, we've all heard about the importance of the people we spend our time with, right? And I was looking around me thinking, okay, I have amazing friends and there are, you know, lots of different diverse friends, but who is pioneering conscious entrepreneurship? I don't really you know, I don't really know, you know, I don't hang around with, with people who are necessarily in that field. And 
I listened a lot to Russell Brand's podcast, Under the Skin, and a lot. <laughs> and I would walk through the city because I, I, I had learned from London that I much preferred to walk one hour to work than take any kind of public transport just to keep my energy in a really beautiful place. And, and so I'd walk across the city on my way to an appointment or whatever I was doing and listen to these incredible people and just having them in my pocket and just like all of these moments where I'd stop on the street, no way, they didn't say that and write it down in my notes and smile and, you know, and just learning from people who have so much knowledge and are world leaders really in very specific areas that you might have never heard of or thought about before. But when you find a podcast that really, you know, aligns with you, like I did with Russell Brand Under the Skin, for example, it just really gave me so much perspective and depth through that journey. And so I loved podcasts anyway, but I'd never thought of myself as doing one. And I've never been really out there. I, I've always loved speaking and presenting and been really comfortable and confident doing that. Always loved using my voice as a choral singer as well, which I mentioned briefly. But I was never someone who was really using social media or, you know, I, I didn't really put myself out there because I didn't really, I don't know, I just never really felt the need to. Um, and so I never, ever considered at that time that I would have my own podcast but it actually came to me like the only way I can describe it is like a download from the universe I was in Byron Bay for the first six months of 2020 in just in in heaven <laughs> by the beach and nature reserve and it was just oh it was gorgeous in Australia and um, one day it just came to me, you need to do a podcast. It's going to be called Going Conscious. You're going to interview academics and entrepreneurs about conscious ways of living and working and success, conscious success. You know, when you, when you have your spiritual awakening and align with your values and consciousness, it doesn't mean you have to go and, and teach yoga in Ibiza and smoke weed. I mean, if you want to, that's also totally cool. But, you know, you can also be more successful than you've ever been and really to help people understand that and inspire people to, to understand that for themselves and see the journeys that others have taken towards their highest success and their highest purpose hand in hand has just became clearly a mission for me. So the podcast was born and I haven't looked back. I'm on episode 40 now um, and absolutely love it. And it just brings me so much as well to have these conversations and, and to receive the feedback and know that I'm really helping other people to change their lives as well. You know, people have written in all sorts of things about how they were about to accept a job and then they listened to an episode and realized that job is not for me. I just thought I had to, and they turned it down and things like that, you know, about people making real changes in their lives. It's just incredible and humbling. Yeah. And you've had some fabulous feedback and reviews on your podcast. I know Nikki, and, and I know there's a lot of people who've been really appreciating the wisdom and um, the insights that both you and your, your guests have been giving there. Um, so definitely anyone who hasn't listened to that, if you love podcasts, if you like this podcast, you should definitely go and check out Nikki's one, um, Going Conscious, that is called, and it is well worth a listen. So what's coming up for you, Nikki? Um, what is what is the kind of... Um, What's going on in Nikki's world over the next few months and where can people find you either online or in real life? <laughs> well, firstly, I just want to say thank you for all of your support of 
female voices in podcasting, which is absolutely incredible and something I'm so passionate about. And on Going Conscious, I make sure that I interview two women to every man. Um, I love enlightened men, of course, as much as I love women, but um, just really making sure that we're promoting those female voices because, as you know, more, more than anyone, it's it's very much dominated by the white male voice and there's nothing wrong with the white male voice, but let's have a bit more balance. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Um, and where can they find me? Well, I'm actually in Berlin right now and having been completely nomadic for the last two years from Australia and New Zealand to Mexico, Italy, Greece, all over the place. I'm moving to the UK in a week um, to England, where I'm from, and we'll be spending some time there being a bit closer to my family and finding a beautiful place in the countryside for a bit. So who knows how long it will be um, before the nomadic life returns but that's where I'll be and you can always find me on going conscious on my podcast and I would love to hear from you on any feedback you have um and on my instagram at nikki trot that's at n-i-k-k-i-t-r-o-t-t or my clubhouse with the same handle if you're on social media you can find me there and I'd love to see you and to hear from you and my website nikkitrot.com gives you links then to Conscious Accelerator, my business, and to the podcast Going Conscious as well. So that's kind of a hub for the different things I'm doing where you can Mm. find out. Amazing. Awesome. Nikki, thank you so much for being here. Um, This has been such a fun conversation, full of wisdom and and wonderful advice as well. Um, I always throw the floor open just at the end to see if there's anything advice-wise that that you were given that you always want to pass on to young women in their careers or or anything else you kind of think about women in the workplace that that you love to discuss or points that you wanted to make. Oh, there's so many. (laughs) (laughs) We could do another hour. But the first one that comes to mind is the importance of defining your own success, because that's something that I didn't do until I was 30. And it would have been interesting to do that at 19. What does success really mean to you not what have people told you success is but what does it really mean and look like to you and to really be clear on that and define that without judgment if it means a sports car that's also totally fine then have that there you know it it doesn't it doesn't need to only be uh of the highest purest things but but what is success truly to you and ask yourself then for each thing you write down why and really understand what that means and then you have a vision that you can work towards rather than being clouded by all of the views of success that other people have which are unfortunately often based in fear as well you know a stable job at a big company because otherwise what if everything goes wrong this is this is not necessarily success for some people if stability is is the most important thing for them then that's going to be fantastic but if stability is not important to you then you don't need to be clouded by that view, which is just not your own. So yeah, I think for me, the first piece of advice I would give is really define what success means to you. And then the second thing is to be really clear on your values. Actually, if you go on on my website on Conscious Accelerator, there's a tips section where I've got a free article all about how you define your values um, and how you can do that in a list of loads of suggested values you can refer to. So check that out if you want to. But once you have your values clear as well, then you can use them as a filter for everything you do in your personal and professional life. 
uh, and really making sure that they truly align with you. So really what I'm saying is live your life. Don't live a life that someone else told you you need to live because you won't find fulfillment there. That's all for this week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please just share it wherever you can on your own social media. And if you found the podcast interesting or useful, then do please tell a friend because we are always keen for new listeners. If you can find it in your heart to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or give us a shout out on your socials, then we'd love you very much as it genuinely does help other people to find us. We're on Instagram and Facebook at The Skylark Collective and our website is www.skylarkcollective.co.uk. See you next time.